Texas. Welcome back and welcome to our storytelling interview. My name is David Frainer and I'm here with Matthew Francis. Thank you for joining us for this portion of our Thank program. You. We call it an interview, but it's really a conversation. And we have a lot to talk about, and in the time we have, we may just scratch the surface. But as the coach says, it is what it is. So first things first, I want to acknowledge that you are usually sitting in the chair that I'm sitting in. <laughs> so you have your own television show, Diversity Dignified, and its predecessor, I think, is Gender Dignity. And you produce it both in Portland and in New Hampshire. I do. So to get on your show, somebody has to be connected with a port city somehow, Portland or Portland. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if you could tell us about the show, its focus, how you got started, and sure. how it's evolving. And do you produce it here or there or both? So just Both, sure. Plunge ahead. Um, I started the show uh, about three and a half years ago. And... It was called Gender, Dignity, Unique, and Equal. And I started it in Portland, Maine. Um, the reason I started it is I had been invited to Augusta to read the names of transgender people who had been killed. And I thought that I wanted to make a safer world. And I thought if I could introduce transgender people, just ordinary people, um, and normalize the situation, that it would make a safer world. Um, and that progressed to Diversity Dignified, which I actually do it here now in Portsmouth and let it air in Portland. Uh -huh. And another show I do is called End the Stigma, which is about folks with severe and persistent mental illness. Wow. And I am usually the interviewer. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you... <clears throat> put your show together, where do you get guests from? How do they come to you? They often email me or oh, really? contact me. They want to be on the show or I'll have a theme. Um, and it's not hard to find folks who are, who are courageous enough who want to, who want to tell their story. Um, and something that I've been doing a little differently because it has been on for three years and I feel that awareness is here. So now we're digging into deeper issues. Uh, we're talking about suicide. We're talking about... Um, yeah, you know, the, the religious aspects of maybe being transgender and having a religious faith. Um, so we're getting a little bit deeper than just telling your story. But telling the story is still critical. It's still critical, <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Now, you also wrote a book, My Resurrected Spirit. Yeah. So I wondered if we could talk about that a little bit, too, and we might come back. To, um, does that connect to your show as it well? It does connect. It was uh, very healing for me. I, I, um, I attacked several issues in my resurrected spirit. I attack um, severe mental illness, trauma, poverty, um, transitioning while having a traditional Christian faith and trying to, trying to make sense of that. Um, and it was because I had gotten cancer and nearly died from cancer. And then I sort of felt that I earned the right to be who I was. And I also felt that God affirmed my gender, that he... Um, it was one night I was just having a really tough time. I was wondering why God wouldn't take this from me. I had never told anyone about it, no one, not a family friend, a provider, nobody. I was going to take it to the grave, and I didn't understand why he wouldn't take it from me. And one night I felt affirmed that he had made me, that he loved me, and um, that it was okay to go forward as a transgender person. <clears throat> I'm a retired Unitarian Universalist minister, mm -hmm. and in principle... Unitarian Universalists try to be open to yes. uh, transgender folks, but Christianity hasn't necessarily been so kind. No. 
to uh, transgender people. And especially how being do you traditional. Manage, yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So how do you manage that? Well, well I feel like I, I'm a bridge because I really felt in good faith that this was was a burden. Um, I, I believed in the male and female binary, and I, and I um, thought this was a burden I had to take to the grave. Um, and now I, I find, um, I projected onto God and Jesus that he was a stern, harsh judge, and I really feel that he's a loving friend, um, and that he affirms all of us and loves us all. And so I do go to a very traditional church. Actually, it would be outright conservative. And I work with the pastors, and we're talking. Um, one thing that came out was they said they felt that they hadn't been very kind to their LGBT friends. And I thought that was big progress. And I feel like I can be a bridge because I understand where that comes from, um, which to me is fear, is, was, generates a lot of this push. Um, and a real genuine desire to do good. You know, you really believe you're serving God in the way that you'd been taught. And the way I'd been taught where God was so severe. And, you know, so. What tradition did you grow up in? Or it was, it was, you know, there was Catholic, uh, Congregationalist, Atheist, we, we bounced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we bounced. So you kind of covered the yeah, waterfront Yeah, we covered the thing. Mostly my mom was pretty mad at God all the time. So ah. <laughs> she was warring with him. It was kind of a feud going on. So you had your sort of ecumenical moments within, I did, within the family I did. feud. Yes, uh. I did. <laughs> but there was a, you know, the trauma that I come from, we don't talk enough about. It's that generational trauma that gets passed down. And just to you give say you... Say some more about that. Yeah, I mean, so to give some... You've talked about that before. I'm not quite clear on it. I would love to be clear. Is, um, so my great-grandparents died by murder-suicide. My grandmother was raised in an orphanage, and she was talking about priest abuse long before it came out. Really? And my, um, uh, you know, my father comes from alcoholism and mental illness, and my mother has mental illness. And so she did what she knew. She married at 16 and, and had me shortly after. Um, and, you know, so she, coming from all this kind of violence, you do what you know under stress. And so I, I don't feel that my parents, you know, were kids and like, I'm going to have kids and beat the crap out of them. But that's what they knew to do. That's how they knew to bring us up. And so I feel that, um, not to let them off the hook, but there wasn't the awareness that there is in this day and age. There wasn't the kind of help that there is in this day and age. And um, I think my mother, you know, like you heard from the story tonight, moved all the time. Well, it was every new boyfriend, we moved, but that was her way of keeping us uh, housed and fed. So I, I, you know, applaud her for that. That was, she was doing the best she, she knew how. You are just really remarkably <laughs> compassionate. Well, I think and you come from a story that's replete with tragedy. So a lot still, of it. Yeah. Uh, so you've talked about this a few moments ago. But let's go back to yeah. How did you make this transition? I mean, given your background and your experience, um, you would have every right to be uh, either violent or violently depressed. I've been depressed at times. Definitely, I've been depressed. So and why? I, yeah, not, I haven't lived through what you've lived through. It was hard. Um, one, you know, so, so one of the hardest moments for me. I'll be. I'm going to share a really personal memory. But my mother would cry out to God that she had had us, and why didn't she abort us? I remember one day she was on her knees. The tears were flowing. My God, why are you doing this to me? Why did I have these kids? And I ran up to her and I'm like, Mama, I'm so sorry I was born, and I meant it that I was causing that much pain to her. And she backhanded me into the wall. Um, so I clung to God, and of course, 
but it was a lot of, you know, childhood projections of here's my mother always angry with God and, you know, mad that we were born and why didn't she abort us and feeling like, I don't even know, like feeling evil that I was hurting her so much, that she was in such pain. Um, so I, I often, um, I struggled with a lot of OCD and I struggled with the fact that I was evil. And um, I would do these elaborate prayers. And then, of course, I'd have to do them all over again because I always messed them up. <laughs> so, OCD. Yeah, right, OCD. Yeah. And I would do this uh, hours a night, hours a night. And then I just started as a, as a meet, uh, mid-20s, starting to feel God as a friend and a lover of humanity and that he loved my mother. And I had a very profound dream, which is what caused me to write the book, ah. which was um, I had had the cancer and my mother briefly came back into my life and I had to push her away because she, she was still needing so much from me and I couldn't go through the treatments that I was going through and be there for her. But I had this powerful dream where I was up in heaven with, and Jesus said, I have someone for you. And there was my mother just beautiful and forgiven and there was no anger or shame between us. And I feel like that's what it's gonna be that we will be reconciled one day and everything will be okay. It'll make sense, so I hold on to it. Wow, what a remarkable journey you've been on. And I would argue uh, that what you do is a form of ministry. Um, I try, yeah, I feel that way. And I don't know if you ha what that means to you or to our listeners either, but at least in the Unitarian Universalist tradition, we have something called community-based ministry. So it's folks who, and in traditional terms, it's called a tent-maker ministry. What that means is that people are involved in other kinds of occupations. And the ministry, the work of ministry, which is the work of service and compassion and healing, sort of happens alongside of other things that they're doing. So I don't know how that fits with your particular tradition, but the way that you live compassion into being is a form of ministerial service in my view, and uh, it's really remarkable. Thank I, you. I, I don't want to waste an ounce of that pain. I don't want to waste it. If I can help anyone feel hope, feel any kind of empathy, feel that um, I've, I got to a place where I realized that every life, including mine, was of infinite value, whether I believed it or not. And I had to hold on to that. And that's the message I really want to pass on. No matter where you're at, no matter how you feel, no matter what's been done to you, you are of infinite value and that you are loved just beyond your wildest dreams. I do want to turn before we run entirely out of time yeah. to storytelling. Yes. So storytelling is unlike writing a book yeah. or creating a presentation or motivational speech. Um, it's, a, it's a creative art, but it's a different kind of art, and you've come to it. So share with us a little bit about how you came to be interested in storytelling as such. Well, I wanted to enrich my skills in being a speaker and, and being a listener. And... Um, so I, I joined up with you guys to right. learn your workshops, and I just found them invaluable. And I just feel that they complement each other, even though they're a little bit different. Um, but I, I, I love it, and I love coming, and I want to be doing more of it. So, Well, we hope you'll be involved with True Tales Live for a Thank long you. time to come. Now, uh, so, but to get to some of these, the differences in the creativity, um, do you write your stories out in advance? I mean, 
I know that you do, but do you work with them to internalize them, or is that something that flies ahead of you? Or? No, I, you know, I write really quickly. I, the, one, the stories I've done, I've done them very quickly. Really? Yeah, I've done them quickly. Wow, how do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I just got a lot to say. <laughs> so, um, and then I want to get to the point where I can come up on the stage and not need so many notes and just be more interactive, but um, right now that's what feels comfortable, and I'm sure I'll get to that progression. Yeah. It's, it's a process, and it's an important process. Um, we, you know from our workshops, we talk about the arc of storytelling. Mm -hmm. Nail the opening, nail the close, yep. and don't wander too far afield in the middle. That's the whole of storytelling, right, Pat? Absolutely. <clears throat> so when you were creating a presentation, uh, for like a motivational speech, that's that involves storytelling, but it's different. So it's like I usually will do a, a story, and then um, I'll try to do a step-by-step -step of how I got to where I am. And when I'm trying to be motivational, I'm really trying to be inspirational, and you know, so it's a different, it's a, just a different energy. Even um, I tend to be much more not needing notes. I I can just I just speak, and I kind of get the en uh, energy of the audience and interact with the audience. And I'm pretty good with Q and A. And that uh, helps. People yep, love the Q&A, yep, yep, so, yep, yeah. Because yep, yep. it feels more informal and yeah, it's more conversational. Yeah. Although being conversational can be a form of storytelling as yes. well. Yes. Well, part of storytelling is so important to me is um, up, in about, up until about five years ago, um, I, you might have heard me talk about being in the basement apartment and yep, basement yep, yep. mentality. That's because I could never have had a conversation like this. I was incapable of it. I... Um, I was the type of person who was just, I, I felt so unworthy, so I wouldn't be able to look you in the eye. If, uh, God forbid, I told a joke and you laugh, you'd have heard it 30 more times in the next 60 seconds. <laughs> like, like, you know, and I, I didn't know how to be interactive. I knew I was, I was used to dealing with providers, so I would, you know, but I wouldn't know how to, like, how's your day? You know, it seems like common sense, but it wasn't. And so I, I had to learn, like, I started reading etiquette books. I started going to adult ed classes, taking some leadership classes, and then I took some improv classes. And then oh, I just, really? yeah, I did. I took some of that. And um, so this interaction, which seems easy, five years ago couldn't have even happened. Really? Wouldn't have even happened. Wow. No, wouldn't have happened. Well, this brings us to the end of our conversation with Matthew Francis. Again, Matthew, thank you so much for joining in our conversation. The work you're doing is really important work. Indeed, I would argue it is critical work, especially in these times. And we do hope that at least some of the future of your work will take place right here at True Tales Live. Thank you. This brings us not only to the end of our program, but to the end of our season. Our thanks to the True Tales Live team of Amy Antonucci, Steve Koval, John Lovering, Pat Spaulding, and Sam Adams. And thanks to our entire PPM-TV production crew. At True Tales Live, we go on hiatus for the months of July and August, as Amy mentioned. So our next show is Tuesday, September 24th, and it does feature an open theme. We know, of course, that storytelling is eternal and never goes on hiatus. But as a practical matter, with the Prescott Park Arts Festival just around the corner and parking at a premium, we have learned that the better part of wisdom is to take August <laughs> and July off. <clears throat> we will come roaring back in September. Our next workshop is September 3rd. And if you are considering telling a story, we do intend you to encourage, and encourage you to attend a workshop. And at the same time, attending a workshop does not pre-commit you to telling a story. 
Workshops are a wonderful way to try out being a storyteller. And it's also, they're great for people who want to workshop a story and have done storytelling before. Uh, also, True Tales Live on stage takes place Sunday, September 15th. Uh, and as Amy mentioned, we understand that tickets are selling quickly, so we encourage you to purchase your tickets fairly soon with six excellent storytellers. Mark your calendar and buy your tickets today. And to keep up with all things True Tales Live, sign up for our e-newsletter. We have a wonderful editor who edits the True Tales Times. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> Telling of upcoming shows and workshops and additional events, including details about our live on-stage show. So that's truetaleslivenh.org, where you can find the sign-up sheet. My name is David Frainer. Have a good summer, and we'll see you in September. <laughs>